0: messages message is from Living Rock Church, and we trust you'll be really equipped, envisioned, and encouraged as you listen today. We've been studying and going through Mark's gospel together over the last few months, and uh, February is Mark 4-6, to okay, so that's where we're going to be uh, looking and considering this morning, the gospels, uh, sorry, the chapters in, in Mark 4-6, to and I want us to think about being and talk about being marked as a disciple. If you turn in your Bibles to Mark 4, please, because um, you know, sometimes they can be quite handy, these little headings that you get, that kind of dotted throughout your Bibles, often at the beginning of a chapter and then placed throughout. And if you turn to Mark 4, you'll see that a big chunk of Mark 4, the whole chapter, or a big chunk of the chapter, is given over to parables that Jesus tells So the first parable that Jesus talks about is the parable of the sower, or the parable of the farmer scattering seed. The next parable then that Mark records Jesus teaching about is the parable of the lamp. And then he talks about the parable of the growing seed, and this parable is found only in Mark's gospel. It's not found in any of the other gospels. Very little of Mark's material is unique to Mark, as we've said before. A lot of it is found particularly in Matthew and Luke. In fact, only 3% of Mark is unique to Mark's gospel, and this is part of it, the parable of the growing seed, then the parable of the mustard seed. And then once Jesus has done these incredible uh, teachings and illustrations of the word of God and the kingdom of God, the disciples go across the lake and Jesus says, let's go over to the other side of the lake, boys, and it's all going to be plain sailing from here on in because we're listening to Jesus. We're obeying Jesus. This is going to be a doddle. No. A storm kicks in to the point where these men These hardened fishermen think they're going to lose their lives. And they cry out to Jesus. And Jesus stands up and he rebukes the storm. And he says, why are you afraid? Well, Jesus, there was a massive storm. Why are you afraid? Well, did you not see the waves, Jesus? They were going to send us overboard. We were all going to die and drown. Why are you afraid? I'm with you. I'm I'm with you. And you know, Jesus wants us to know that today. He's with us. And not only that, not only is he with us... But as those who've been uh, born again and received the Holy Spirit, he's in us. He's not even next to us. He's in us. That is amazing. Then Jesus, the the guys get off the boat. You think they've probably had enough for the day. And then this man who's possessed by over 2,000 demons starts charging at them from a cemetery. Life with Jesus is so dull, isn't it? And Jesus casts out these demons and they... They, they fill some pigs, and the pigs plunge into a lake, and it's just a regular Tuesday with Jesus, and then Jesus heals uh, a woman who's, got, who's had an issue of bleeding for 12 years, and then he raises a 12-year-old daughter to life, a uh, daughter of a man called Jairus. She's died, and he raises her back to life. Then he goes to Nazareth, his hometown, and they reject him. Then he sends out his 12 disciples. Then his cousin, John the Baptist, is beheaded, and Jesus gets news of the death of his of his cousin and wants to... Retire away with his disciples to a quiet place but a huge crowd come and he feeds 5,000 people then another storm arises as he sends his disciples back across the lake and this time he walks on water and calms the storm gets into the boat with them and then finally there's some more healings just three chapters of just full on full throttle adventure life healings, resurrection teaching truth it's incredible and um, you know in many ways, I want to look more at, um, rather than Jesus himself, at, at Jesus' disciples. And Jesus' expectation of his disciples. Jesus had expectations of his disciples. He has expectations of us as his disciples. In fact, we've got less of an excuse because we've got the Holy Spirit living us. Yeah. <laughs> but he's got expectations for us. And the first thing I want to say is this. Are you identified as a disciple of Jesus Christ? Is that where you find your identity? You know, what I really like about um, the way that Jesus calls his disciples, I'm going to just come back a minute to Mark 1, chapter 1. And he calls two sets of disciples. He calls Simon and Andrew in Mark 1, verse 16 and 17, and we have the story there. And then he calls Matthew, who's also called Levi, in Mark 2, verse 14. And in both cases, in my Bible, it says, Jesus says to them, follow me, follow me. But what I I saw was, actually, the word follow that Jesus used was different for Simon and Andrew than it was for Levi. And and, and I want to say this. When Jesus calls us, he knows exactly where we're at, and he calls us where we're at. So with Simon and Andrew, what are they doing? They're fishing. Why? Because they're fishermen. That's all they knew. And they're there in the middle of their job, in the middle of their day, and Jesus turns up and he says this literally, come now, come now and I will teach you how to fish for people. Immediately he hooks them, immediately he catches them, he meets them where they're at, they're fishermen he says, follow me and I will teach you how to fish for people. You know what, he reveals himself to us where we're at. He just says, come now and I'll teach you how to fish and they're like, whoa, that sounds good, we're in. But then when he comes to Matthew, or Levi, as he's described, Matthew is a tax collector. And in in Mark 2, verse 14, Jesus is walking along and he sees Levi sitting in his tax collector's booth. There he is again, at work. I mean, if this was a pantomime right now, as soon as I said tax collector, they would be a... They were hated. This man was a Jew collecting taxes from Jewish people to give to Who? The Romans, what do they ever do for us? He wants to give the taxes, hard-earned money of the people of his own nation, the land that they're in that belongs to them, and he's taking it and giving it to their oppressors. And not only that, but he's, he's taking some for himself as well. He's chosen who he's with. And when Jesus calls Matthew, he doesn't say, come now. What Jesus says is this, join my team. Join my side. Come and be on my side. You know what? Matthew knew what it was to choose sides. A Jewish man who'd chosen to side with Rome. He knew what it was like to choose sides and be hated for it. And and so he understood this. And Jesus, in the same place, says, what I'm calling you to do now is to change sides and join me. The transfer window is open. Join me now. Come and be in my party. Come and be on my team. He met, met him exactly where he's at. And immediately, Matthew knew what he meant. This is going to cost something. But I am going to side with Jesus from now on. And when He calls us, I want you to know this you've been called by name. He calls us by name. In Isaiah 43, verse 1, God says, Don't be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. You're here this morning. You've given your life to Jesus. He's called you by name. And if you don't know Him this morning, He's calling you by name. You're here for a reason. It's where identity is as a disciple of Jesus Christ. My identity, above all else, is not in my nationality. As a proud Englishman that I am. <laughs> my, I, I can say that because I'm a disciple of Jesus. There's no way I could have done that if I wasn't born again. But you know what? It's not in that. It's not where I'm from. It's not who I'm with. It's, it's not how I feel about things. It's my, my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That is where my identity lies, and that defines me above all else. Yeah. And it puts me in the same team as those who've done exactly the same thing. We are joined by something far greater than when we're born or how much money we do or don't have or what job we do or don't do. None of those things matter. Above this, I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ and if you are too, we're on the same side, on the same team. We belong to one another. We've gathered around the same king. Defines us above all else. That's where your identity lies. Don't let anybody tell you differently. That means that how I see myself is different now. I'm a child of God. I'm a son of the king. And you are a child of God. You are a son of the king, male or female. You've been brought into sonship. It means that the way I consider myself, the way I consider you is defined by that. Our identity in Jesus Christ. And the wonderful thing is, it's not just about having an identity. It's then that we have a purpose. We have something to do with that. You know what? purpose without identity is powerless. I shared this with the youth at the weekend away a a few weeks ago. Purpose without identity is powerless. If you're going about trying to do things, but you don't know who you are, what authority you have, what you're doing will lack power. So therefore, it's important that we know who we are, so that as we go about doing what God's called us to do, because of that knowledge, we have authority to do the things that God's told us to do. But also, to say this, identity without purpose is pointless. Identity without purpose is pointless. You imagine going to police academy and training to be a police officer and you, you get the uniform, you get the badge, you know the laws, and, and then all you do is you go, at ho- you go home and you watch Jeremy Kyle all day. You're wearing a uniform, you've, you've, you've shined up your badge and you're sitting on the sofa watching Jeremy Kyle. You know who you are, but you're not doing anything about it. Well, that's pointless. You should be out there fighting crime, changing the world, moving an authority, making a difference. Identity and purpose, that's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's what he's called us into. And I want to consider these these four phrases. David, we're so pleased. We got these banners made. This this is about, these aren't just catchy titles and phrases. These are things that should define what we're about as a church. This explosion of the good news. And what I love when I see this is firstly this, they they went. There was a going like there's no tomorrow. If you turn to Mark 138, I will get into Mark 4 in a moment. I promise. I'm still in Mark 1, Mark 1:38. Jesus says this. Jesus is constantly moved and on the move. Everyone is looking for you, Jesus. That's what the disciples say. And then Jesus replied, "We must go on to other towns as well, and I will preach to them too. That is why I came." She said, "I came." to go and he's still going he wants us to go this sense of advance this sense of on the move this sense of this is good but there's more for us this town has been impacted fantastic let's stay here and build a massive church and get everybody to come along no there's more there's other places to go we've got to keep going we've got to keep moving God wants us to always have an outward focus and if you turn to Mark 5 please Jesus Jesus meets this, this man who lives in a cemetery, and he howls at night, and he cuts himself with sharp stones, and he, he hangs around by corpses and dead people, and he's possessed by at least two thousand demons. And he meets Jesus, and Jesus says, "Come out of him!" And immediately the demons they, they start quaking. They say, "Well." don't send us out to this place let us stay here but and so they they go and they they possess 2,000 pigs who run down the hill and drown themselves in a lake my, my wife Sarah and I we were chatting about this recently and Sarah was, what about the poor farmer the pig farmer and I just thought you know what these not even get anything on insurance that is literally an act of God But you know what, they, they, this man is transformed by this encounter with Jesus. No one is in too dark a place. No one has, has, has messed around with things that are too dark or too sinister to, to know restoration right. when they meet Jesus Christ. That's right. No one's gone beyond the pale. Amen. There's salvation for everybody that's willing to accept him as their Lord. That's right. and, he's, and he's sitting there and he's fully clothed and he's, and he's in his right mind, as it says in, in scriptures. And he says, can I come with you, Jesus? And Jesus just says this. In verse 19, Jesus replied to this man, 19 verse, chapter 5, verse 19, no, go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. Can you imagine that these days? Jesus would be like, well, what you want to do is come with us for a while. We'll put you through an intensive discipleship training course. Um, we need, there's a few things we need to sort out with you and we'll get your theology right and then we'll send you back home in about 12 to 18 months depending on how you get on good. Jesus just says straight away you know what the transformation the restoration that you've had you know enough to go and change the town that you're from go and it says this so the man started off to visit the 10 towns of that region and began to proclaim the great things that Jesus had done for him and everyone was amazed at what he told them as soon as we meet Jesus this is the thing we're ready to go You could have been born 20 minutes, 20 years. It doesn't matter. As soon as you know Jesus, it's time to go. Don't wait. Just go. Go with what you have. Go with the story of what Jesus has done in your life. That's all that's needed. Go. Just this encounter is enough for this man from Gerasenes to be transformed, to go to these 10 cities and begin to preach the gospel. He went straight away. And when Jesus gets his disciples together in Mark 6... It says that in Mark 6, verse 6, the second half of Mark 6, so it it says above my my part of the Bible, Jesus sends out the 12 disciples. It says, Jesus went from village to village, teaching the people, and he called his 12 disciples together and began sending them out, two by two, giving them authority to cast out evil spirits. He told them to take nothing for the journey except a walking stick, no food, no traveler's bags, no money. He allowed them to wear sandals, (laughs) thank you, but not to take a change of clothes. And Jesus says, "Wherever you, go. stay in that town, bless them. If they re- reject you, shake the dust off your feet, but while you're there, heal people, do something. And you know what I love about this? Jesus says to his disciples, "Don't take a traveler's bag. That means no toothbrush, it means no soap, no towel. Don't take any change of clothes. Don't take any money or food. What's Jesus saying? Go like there's no tomorrow. Go like there's no tomorrow. Go like tomorrow isn't even going to happen. You're thinking about tomorrow. What am I going to wear? What am I going to wash with? What am I going to eat? What am I going to buy? Jesus says, no. Go now like there's no tomorrow. Literally go like there's no tomorrow. God's heart is for us to know as soon as we meet him, he's prepared us. We've got something to go with. When he sends us to not try and plan everything ahead perfectly, but just to go knowing that we've got today, go like there's no tomorrow. And Jesus says, wherever you go, stay there and give something. Go like there's no tomorrow and give like you won't run out. In Mark 6, verse 7, it says this, Jesus gave them authority. Gave them authority. This, this, this part in Mark 6 is paralleled in Mark, Matthew 10 and Luke 10 of the sending out of the disciples. And in Matthew 10, it says, freely you've received, now freely Give. And he wants us to, to understand and, and to think again, how much have you received from him? You know what he has for us? The resources he has for us are limitless. The fullness of the Holy Spirit, the fullness of God lives in us. Paul says in Ephesians 3, I pray that you'll understand, that you'll, you'll get your head around the power that's within you, this limitless, glorious resource that will empower you. It's the Holy Spirit. I pray that you understand what you've received. That from these unlimited resources, that he'll empower you to live. Full of life, full of power. Far too often we focus on the resource rather than the source. Don't get caught up with the resource, focus on the source. Where the source is, who the source is. It's Jesus, it's the Holy Spirit, it's from heaven. In Mark, I said only a small amount of Mark is unique to Mark. And I read this, and it really caught me afresh when I, when I read it. It says in Mark 6, verse uh, 12 and 13, the disciples went out, telling everyone they met to repent of their sins and turn to God. I mean, they just went for it. And they cast out many demons and healed many sick people. And it says this in Mark, that it doesn't say in any of the other Gospels, anointing them with olive oil. I thought, wow, that's Interesting. They, they anointed people with olive oil. And immediately, I was taken back to 1 and Second Kings, the story of Elijah and Elisha. In, in, in those stories, there, there, there are parallel stories. In 1 Kings 17 and in uh, 2 Kings 4, um, Elijah is in 1 Kings 17, Elisha, his disciple, is in one, uh, 2 Kings 4. They both meet widows who have nothing, literally nothing. And not only that, there's famine. Okay, And when Elijah meets this widow... He, says to her, he turns up at her house and he says, um, I'd like you to feed me, please. And you think, Elijah, you can't do that. She's a widow. She doesn't got anything. And she said, i only got a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil, enough for one more meal for me and my son before we die. Elijah says, yep, that'll do. <laughs> You're like, wow, Elijah, seriously. But what does she do? Sure enough, she takes that olive oil, mixes it with the, the flour, makes a meal for him, and guess what? In the flask, there's still olive oil. And in the bowl, there's still flour. Even though Elijah's chowing down on a nice bit of pitta. And and again, and again, and again, this happens. So she has enough to eat. Her son has enough to eat. The prophet of God has enough to eat. Just, do you know what she's doing? She's giving like she won't run out. And then Elisha comes along and he meets a widow. And he does exactly the same thing he says, "Uh, I'd like you to feed me, please. She says, I don't have any olive oil left. He said, that's fine. Just get loads of empty pots. Pour the flask that you've got. And sure enough, she keeps pouring. Glug, 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 glug. And this one-pint jug is filling 16-pint tubs. The provision of God. She's giving like she won't run out. What is she doing to do that, though? She's giving. You have to give. To then know that you're not running out. doesn't say hold on like you might run out give like you won't run out and this is exactly what these men these prophets of god ask these ladies these widows to do and then jesus turns up ready to feed five thousand people and who does he get the pack lunch of a little boy i mean come on widows and children yeah let's take their food and eat it But you know what? God doesn't want us to have a poverty mentality. There are no widows. There are no children that can't give to God and see him pour back in all the resources that we need. Don't look at the resource. Look at the source and know that as I give, I might not be much, but I'm giving what I've got. And I know that I do. God backfills. That's what faith is. That's what trusting is. Please, would you get your offerings and your tithes ready? Because we're going to come and bring it in the context of giving like we won't run out. Okay? Brenda stood up and gave testimony. And she said this. We're continuing to tithe. Good. Because it's God's. It's God's. The word teaches us that the tithe belongs to the Lord. And I'm so blessed that they've remained faithful in that. And I want us to, to, to this morning, to do a, an act of, of this. Giving like we won't run out. So if you've not done it yet and you to bring us, you're going to bring some tither offering. If you're a visitor or guest, please don't feel any compulsion to do this. But we as as a church will bring um, our tithes and offerings every Sunday. But I'm going to do this. What we're going to do this morning is as we bring it, it's going to be a prophetic act, a prophetic declaration that as we give, we know that God is going to pour in everything that we need, all the resources that we need. And I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about everything. But it starts with this. So much of the world's, um, so much of this matters in the world, above all else. And God says, I want to know where your heart is at. So we're going to give, knowing that as we do, we won't run out. That he'll provide all that we need. Is that okay? Are you okay with that? I know that's a bit unorthodox, but I believe that's what God wants us to do. There's going to be something prophetic in it this morning as we do it together. And please, just to know this, I'm not embarrassed to ask or to say this this morning, because Elijah wasn't embarrassed to ask a widow. Elisha wasn't embarrassed to do exactly the same thing. Jesus wasn't embarrassed to sit and watch a widow bring her her coins at the front of the offering. He knew that she was giving out of faith and a trust in him. He wasn't afraid to ask a young boy for something because what I'm doing is not asking you to give me the last thing. I'm I'm giving us all an opportunity to position ourselves, to look to the source of our resources so that he can pour in exactly what we need rather than us trying to fix it by our own economics and plans. Do you know what? Man's economics is not working. Look at the world. It's not working. We've got to come back to God's economics to God's methods and God's ways. So once you've got your, uh, your tithing, your offering, um, whatever that may be, then just if you just hold it in your hand and hold it up, if you're here with your husband or wife and just join them, hold hands. Or, um, and, and we're saying this morning, Lord God, we thank you that you're our provider. Yes. But we thank you that as we read in your word that, Lord, that your resources are limitless Lord, we declare it this morning. Your resources are limitless. And Lord, it's our, priv- our privilege and our pleasure to give to you this morning. And we know that as we do, Lord, that we won't run out. But Lord, that we're doing this as an act of faith, an act of obedience, trusting you. Literally, Lord, putting our money where our mouth is. But know that as we do, Lord, that you will give us all that we need not just for ourselves, but for those around us, not just for our homes, but for the world around us. Because, Lord, you want to be glorified. You want us to be a blessing. You want us to be those who administer uh, relief and help, Lord God, and meet the needs of the world around us. That is what the church is called to do. And, Lord, we thank you that you're calling us afresh to that today. And we move forward in faith as we sow in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please come and bring those baskets at the front. You get a little leg stretch in the middle of the the word, so it's a win-win. Win-win. There's a story of a, of a young woman who takes her, uh, her boyfriend back to see her father. And they're, they're having dinner together around the table. And uh, this is the first time the dad's got to meet this young man. And after the, they've had food together, the father takes the, this young man into a different room for a drink and just have a little bit of a prep talk. And he says to the young man, So, so young man, um, how are you going to bring my daughter uh, you know, how are you going to support her in the, in the way that she's, she's used to and familiar with? What, what are you doing with your life? And the young man said, well, actually, sir, I'm at Bible school, and uh, I'm studying the Bible at the moment. And uh, the, the man said, well, that's a very noble thing, but I'm conscious that that's not very well paid. Um, so how will you be buying an engagement ring? And the young man said, oh, well, sir, I will devote myself to the Word and to my studies, and God will provide and uh, the man says, well, that's great, but obviously you're going to want to have a house and a home, and she's going to want to, to live there, and I want her to be um, safe and secure. How are you going to buy a house? And the young man said, well, I'll, I'll devote myself to the Word, and God will provide. He said, well, that's, that's, that's really good, but you're going to have children and a family later on, and what are you going to do there to support them? And the young man said, well, sir, as I've said, I'm going con- to continue to study the Word, and God will provide. And it went on like this for like the next 20 minutes. Well, the evening finished, and the young man and the, and the, the daughter left, and the father's sitting with the, with the mother, and the mother says, so how did the chat go? And the father said, well, there's good news and bad news. The bad news is that this man hasn't got a hope of earning any money whatsoever, but the good news is he thinks I'm God. <laughs> we have far greater resources, a far greater source. So go like there's no tomorrow. Give like you won't run out. And then this, gather like you make a difference. You know, there are a few occasions where Jesus calls his disciples together. In uh, Mark 7, Jesus, uh, Mark, sorry, Mark 6 verse 7, my apologies, Mark 6 verse 7, it says this, Jesus called his disciples together. He said, guys, I want you to come and gather and I read that and I thought, wow, can you imagine being called to a special meeting with Jesus? Jesus has called you to gather together and he's going he's to talk to us. He's going to do a little bit of a prep. and He's probably got a really awesome PowerPoint ready for us. And then he's going he's to equip us as disciples. Like, but God challenged me. He said, every time you gather in my name, you're gathering around me. I'm calling you to gather. And you know what? It's true that as we gather together, we gather around Jesus that can be just as powerful, just as impacting, just as wonderful because we're gathering around him. When we gather together on a Sunday morning, it may be the sort of thing that we do every Sunday at 10.30, but never lose sight of this. We're gathering around Jesus. And know that as we do, something happens, that we bring something, that what you bring makes a difference to that gathering, that what God wants to do in our lives will make a difference to us and to the people that we meet afterwards as well, that we prioritize our gathering together. In Mark six thirty one, Jesus again speaks to his disciples and he says, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. Again, there are times in our gatherings where I believe Jesus just wants to minister rest to us and peace to us, where we can just enjoy being in his presence together just to see him and and look to him and know that there are different types of gatherings around Jesus. Sometimes it will be for him to specifically speak to us and equip us and commission us. And other times it will just be to be in his presence and to to love him and just to be with him, to know him more. And I love that Jesus was willing to do that with his disciples, that we gather like we make a difference, that our gatherings make a difference. And you know, as I was reading these, these things, I don't know whether you've ever read these and thought, mm, I wonder if that's the best order. Or is that just, that's just me, isn't it? Okay, I'll move on. But to go, which one do we do first? Surely we gather first and then we go and, or maybe we grow first and then we gather. And oh not When we gather, we give and, and <laughs> but you know, what I, what I do think is this. Sometimes we, we want to grow before we're ready to go give or gather. And actually, that as we go, as we give, as we gather, we'll grow. Yeah, absolutely. That's true. And, it, and, and what's important is that we know that all of these things can happen at the same time. They happen concurrently. They go on together. That, that all of these things are together. And, and if you turn back to Mark 4, I just want to look at these four parables. Because all of them are about growth. Go, give, gather, grow. And uh, Mark 4 is about is our parables of growth. And I read these, I've read these parables over a few times, and, and some we'll be more familiar with than others maybe. The parable of the sower, the man scattering seed, that's a really well-known parable. The, the parable of the lamp is quite well-known as well, but as I read that, I thought, I don't know if I've ever really fully understood what Jesus is getting at in this parable. I've kind of thought about this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine and all that sort of stuff. Or... Uh, but, but what is it that Jesus act- is actually saying because I believe these, these parables are interconnected the parable of the growing seed why did Mark choose to include that and then the parable of the mustard seed and you know what I've, I, as I read these things I thought actually there are things that all these four stories all these four parables have in common firstly they're all about giving something out they're all about giving something out the, the farmer is scattering seed the lamp is giving out light the, the farmer is scattering seed. And then somebody is planting a mustard seed. All of them are about giving. God wants us, I've already said this, to be givers. Constantly giving. That's what Jesus did. And you, and you say, well, but, but I'm tired or, or I haven't really got much to give. That's, it's not about me. It's about the source of, the, of who's giving to me. Yeah. That I'm trusting him. And, and all of these parables are about giving out. All of them have something in them about what is given having inherent growth in it the seeds will spring up to be a harvest the mustard seed becomes a tree and the light I I kind of picture this lamp you know when you light a candle or you light the lamp the brightness grows doesn't it after you light it there's this growth of light the kind of energy saving bulbs oh I think we should go back to the lamp but if there's ever a modern version of it, it's energy-saving bulbs. Have I switched it on? I'm not even sure yet. I'll come back in 10 minutes and maybe I'll know. But there's this growth, there's this increase, there's inherent growth in it. There's an influence and an impact that takes place. Um, these seeds become a harvest field. What was muddy and, 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 and kind of brown and a bit rubbish-looking is now this golden field that's swaying corn. What was once a a tiny mustard seed is now a tree that's in the garden. What was dark and and unseen is now bright and filling, the light is filling the room. They're all influential. They all grow. They're all about giving out. They all have a secondary outcome. You can see what's going on, that more is given, that there's a harvest and a fruitfulness that's going to reproduce itself, that the tree itself becomes a shelter for birds in the garden. It's fantastic. This is the life that God has called us to. And, and you know what it is? It's about the word changing us. Yeah. That's how we grow. Yeah. The word changing us. Yeah. And, and what I realise, particularly in the first two parables, is this. I have a say in how the word affects my life. That's true. I, have a, I, have a, I can impact it. Yeah. It depends on this, how receptive I am. Yeah, that's true. How ready my heart is to receive the word. That's what I read in these things. The Word is always powerful. The Word always has the fullness of the potential that was ever meant to be in it. But what's key is, how do I receive the Word? You know, am I going to be like a path and the Word is just going to bounce off me and Satan will snatch it away? Or am I going to be shallow and the Word might take root for a while, but as soon as it's scorched by the sun, it dies off? Or am I going to be so concerned about the, my... my David used these S's earlier on in my sensory world around me, that that thorns and thistles are going to just strangle out the seed. Or is there going to be good soil? So I'm ready to receive the word no matter what. And then I read the parable. Let's read the parable of the lamp. Nearly finished. Mark 4, 21. Jesus says, Would anyone light a lamp and then put it under a basket or under a bed? Of course not. A lamp is placed on a stand where its light will shine. For everything that is hidden will eventually be brought into the open, and every secret will be brought to light. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Then he said, or he added, pay close attention to what you hear. The closer you listen, the more understanding you'll be given, and you'll receive even more. There's that growth. But I believe he's saying this. When the light comes into your life, don't try and put it under a basket. I, I don't like what it's showing up in my life. Put the basket on top of it. Shove it under the bed. I don't like what is just exposed that's in this room. I'm going to cover it over. Jesus says, no, when the light comes in, don't hide it somewhere. Elevate it. Yes. But know that as you do, that light will shine. God wants to shine into our lives and he wants to change the things that need to change. He wants to make the adjustments that he wants to make. Don't ever hide the light. Don't ever hide the word. When the word comes, embrace it. Yes. And then he says this, and as you do, as you hear, and you have ears to hear, more will be given. There's a growth, there's an addition, there's there's an abundance that comes as we accept the word of God. Now, God wants us to go like there's no tomorrow. God wants us to give like we won't run out. God wants us to gather like we really do make a difference. And God does desperately want us to grow like never before. He wants us to grow as his people. And um, we're gonna. St- if we could just stand together, please. We're going to let um, the guys who are involved in the baptism, if you'd like to go out and get ready, we'll, we'll head across over to the baptistry in a moment. You know, this morning was initially kind of earmarked as, as prayer and fasting. <laughs> um, but we've done, we've done something a little bit differently this morning. But, but, but in closing, what I'd really love for us to do... so. You've got Betty and Janet and Mandy and Ray and Joe. You've got a nice line there. If you would just turn and face that way, please, for a moment. That's it. And then from Jean and uh, you guys there, if you just turn and face this way. Thank you. Philomena and those guys. And if everybody behind them would turn and face the other side of the room. You know, don't look at me anymore, okay? So just so if you're on this side of the room you're facing the windows and if you've got your windows if you're on this side of the room your windows are to your back okay and what we're going to do is just, we're going to pray blessing over one another okay we're going to proclaim blessing over one another we've been told this morning about what we say being powerful and significant and we're just going to proclaim just go into I've got to stop saying that because what I mean by that is it's simple and yet what we'll do, will happen is profound and it's this Lord bless them Lord, bless them. Lord, give them a boldness, a fresh boldness to go. Lord God, give them a fresh faith to know the resources that they have to be able to give. Lord, help them understand how significant and important they are so that when we gather, they know that what they bring is needed for us. And Lord, cause them above all else to grow like never before, to grow in your ways, to grow in your word, to grow in power, to grow in faith, to grow in life to overcome every situation they may face. Just pray those things over one another right now. Lord, blessing of God to rest on this church, Lord. Your provision, your blessing, your peace, your joy to be evident among us. A life of the Spirit, Lord God, abundantly evident among us, we pray. Lord God, we pray for those who, who aren't normally with us. We ask that you'd bless them wherever they go, whatever they're involved in, Lord. We pray your blessing over them. Father, for those this morning that need protection, protect them in the name of Jesus. For those who need healing and wholeness, Lord, we proclaim it, health in Jesus' name. Where there's financial needs, Lord, we release what's necessary from heaven this morning. Lord God, that they'll know your provision in all of its abundance and fullness in the name of Jesus. Lord, we proclaim your blessing over one another and we thank you that you've called us together as your disciples. We thank you, Lord God, that the expectations you have for us Lord, that you've met them by the power of the Spirit within us. And so, Lord, we surrender to you afresh this morning. We thank you for the life you've called us to. And Jesus, we declare you are King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen. 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 Thanks so much for listening today. For more information about Living Rock Church and for more great teaching, please visit www.livingrockchurch.org.uk